From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then tell you what we loved about them and how you can love them too. I'm Surrey, and this is Mark. Hiya. Tonight we're talking about passengers, so consider this your spoiler warning. Warning, warning, warning. Stay tuned for next week's movie at the end of the show. So Surrey, what is it about science fiction movies that you like? I really like the way they can show us a brilliant and hopeful future, but also, I suppose, provide that warning that, um, that computers will one day kill us all. Being a computer programmer, that's important to know exactly how to program my computers for maximal death. I mean, survival. Okay, so tonight's movie, Passengers, then, is released in 2016. Stars Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. Mark, how about you tell us what it was about? So, well, basically, Passengers is a film set in the future we're on a spaceship that's traveling from earth to homestead 2 which is a planet that they will resettle uh, it's a private company resettling planets and apparently this is what that company does and everyone on board is basically in hyper sleep they're in pods and by a meteorite that hits the spaceship at the start of the story uh, Chris Pratt's character Jim is suddenly awoken and he's out of his hypersleep and he can't get back in, can he? So, yeah, he's stuck on his own on board this massive ship. And that's basically the setup of the story. He's supposed to be working out four months before the end of the voyage. He got 90 years out of 120 years. So he was basically going to die of old age. Yeah. So the problem, yeah. So the problem for him as a character straight away is that, yep, yeah, you're going to. You're not going to get off this ship. You're you're stuck there. Uh, so it's a, it was an interesting concept, I think, an interesting sort of you know question on humans that we are awoken alone, isolated, and you know you're going to die on this ship. What would happen to you? You know what 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 would happen to you as a person? You know. So I think there's a great scene where. With the bartender, he's you know he's like, oh, you know I'm gonna die here. I can't I can't be here. I'm not allowed to be here anymore. And the bartender tells him, hey, just live a little. And so he starts to live up a little bit. You know, there's basketball, there's dancing, there's you know playing, there's trying to get the ship going or or trying to get help. But he actually does try to have a bit of playing going on in that in that scene. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the theme being said to him, telling him to. We ask him, says, oh, you, you, you think you're out of place. You don't think you belong here. I have a feeling that it doesn't matter where you were in the universe, you'd still have that feeling. Yeah. And I guess that was sort of the theme that carried through the, the rest of the movie. Yeah, definitely. So, Mark, how did you watch it? Like, where did you watch it? Cinemas, at home, on the toilet? <laughs> uh, no, I just got to watch it at home on a Saturday night, actually, with my wife. So it was a nice kind of 
relaxed viewing in front of the TV. And that first viewing experience, I, I really got a lot of enjoyment out of. I, I thought that I was surprised with uh, the start of the film. I was surprised with that sort of promise of the premise, that, that idea that, oh, okay, here's a, a character alone. Uh, and really once he comes to and he's realizing that he is alone and he can't get to the captains and everyone else is asleep, um, meet, meeting that character of the bartender played by Michael Sheen was to me a real like, ah, wow, this is a total homage to The Shining, you know, and really the, the film itself uh, really touches on a very similar science fiction uh, version of The Shining. So, and then straight away that I kind of sat up in my chair. I just did it then. <laughs> and I just kind of, I was like, oh, wow. And I said, that's what I said to my, my wife, Tanya. I was like, wow, this is, this is a version of The Shining, but in science fiction realm, you know, and, and it really grabbed my attention. That. I didn't catch that at all. I haven't really seen much of The Shining. I think the only Shining I saw was the, the new remake, which I, I seem to think wasn't terribly memorable. Because mm. I can't remember it. No, so I'm totally talking about the Stanley Kubrick um, 70s yeah. Shining, the original one, so Jack Nicholson. I read the book. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and when I watched the, the more recent, I don't know when that was, but yeah. that, that, I remember that kind of, it wasn't close to the book. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know how the, so the Shining, I've got to say, I do love that bartender, Arthur, Michael Sheen, I think the guy was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he played a very, excellent android yes he was at once he would seem to say things that seem to be human but by the end you realize they're kind of a bit generic yeah <laughs> you know he or they were factual like yes. pure facts based like you know how long until we get to homestead of oh, about 90 years yeah and then he would say well what am i supposed to do and he'd pause for a moment and you could see like you know processing mm. and then he'd start giving his what seemed to be you know wisdom mm. but by the end of it you started to realize mm, that's kind of it, it sounds like he's, re, he's he's repeating something from wikipedia like he's just gone to, done a search on google search what is some wisdom to give someone and then he's just given the top answer yeah so i think i think that was fantastic as well yeah i watched it on a yeah saturday night as well with my wife i purposefully avoided reading any critics reviews and any trailers because I wanted to go into it with no particular expectations. I find that's the best way of enjoying films. Mm. Uh, there have been a few movies where the advertising leading up to it has actually improved the viewing experience. But for the most part, you either get sort of spoilers or it, it misrepresents it. So it was, it was very good. Uh, yeah, it was certainly, certainly a very entertaining film to sit and watch um, with the wife, the kids in bed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I had, a, as I said, like I kind of stood up, sat up in my chair because of that bar scene. Uh, and I think Michael Sheen played that robot really well. And the fact that he, he sort of literally says, I'm a, an android, uh, he corrects Jim, Chris Pratt's character in that first scene with him. That he's like, he goes, I'm, no, I'm, I'm an android, you know? Yeah. And then also when he does say, uh, Jim says to him, oh, I'm awoken out of my hypersleep the pod and, and he said oh well no one they kept referencing in this film that the pods never malfunctioned before pods never fail they never fail they never fail and he says it to him he says well i'm here that's what jim replies to <laughs> arthur and arthur like tweaks like he just twitches yeah and he goes right yeah you you you've proved me wrong basically 
Um, but I liked, I liked that. And you're, you're saying it too. That's, it's almost like it was bartender cliches, but because he's an Android, it was acceptable as an audience yeah. and it was quite nice. It was a re- reassuring character. Uh, and if you do happen to look at Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, you'll notice that the, the decor of that bar is very similar. The colors are very similar. And it was, a, I mean, it was a bit random when you look at the rest of the spaceship, how that bar looked, you know, and I did actually look into it and they, the, the designers did decide to model that off a New York bar. They wanted it to kind of try to make it cozy and that's what they were actually going for. Yeah, that, what um, I got from it was that the contrast is walking around the rest of the decks and it's all that sort of sleek uh, cruise line mm. futuristic sort of look and there there's this bar which is looking very 1920s, I want to say. Yeah. And reds and browns and the sorts of colours that are not anywhere else in the whole ship. Yeah. Not in the bedrooms, definitely. not in the walkways, nowhere. Yeah, no, so it was it, look, it was a great experience. And, I mean, I think overall the, the whole, when you take in the whole story, the whole narrative, you know, you, you're taken on this journey, you're given a very good question, which then Jim, Chris Pratt's character, decides to awaken, you know, this moral question. He decides, no, I can't be alone. I have to awaken you know, the beautiful Jennifer Lawrence, of course. And so he picks her and he wakens her and it's a real moral question and then he doesn't tell her. They, you know, they, they have a good relationship. Um, it's very meaningful, I think, throughout the development of their relationship. Um, and then there's a great midpoint because she discovers that, you know, he's lied to her and that he did wake her up. Um, and I think she returns serve on that. She's really, you know, she's quite violent to him. She's got, you know, she isolates himself from him again. Um, and as the story then progresses, we then get into a crux scene of that the ship is is failing and they have to fix it to survive. So it's a great sort of overall story arc that took me on a, on a real good adventure. You know, it took me through all those kind of um, emotional highs that you want from a big Hollywood blockbuster sort of film where, you know, you've got to, an interesting character, an interesting premise, a good moral question, good characters with a bit of dimension, and really you're sort of taking on all of those kind of key act, um, characteristics that you expect from a film. Well, one of the things that I noticed was after I watched the movie, I did go and have a look at what the critics would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't like the film. Largely, I think, because they were focusing very heavily, saying on this moral decision. Yeah. The, I, they seem to be of the opinion that the point of the film was that question of whether to wake her or not, even mm. though we full well knew she had to be awoken in order for the story to progress. And I had to disagree. I was, I was looking there going, I don't think they watched the same movie I did because yeah. I was watching a, a fairy tale, kind of a, a reverse Sleeping Beauty in that the Sleeping Beauty wants to stay asleep and Prince Charming doesn't really want to wake her up but feels he has to. Yep. Uh, it's either that or he's going to jump out the airlock. Fair enough. And the point of the movie was more the the moral or, or the... Yeah, I guess the moral of the story being that you can find happiness in your life wherever you are. Like... Like the bartender said at the start, like Arthur said, he says, it doesn't matter where you are in the universe, you're probably still going to have this feeling of not belonging, of not having your life. And this was, uh, I guess, raised by 
Aurora, that's Jennifer Lawrence, she, she's like, oh, you've taken my life off me. But really, he hadn't. It wouldn't have mattered. Like, she was already on that ship because she felt she had no life. Like, that, that was it. She's going to, what, 120 years to get there, uh, do some, write a book, and another 120 years back. So she, she said, I think, 250 years before she got back to Earth. So she knew that all of her friends and family are, I think, going to be dead and every part of her old life would be washed away. So she already had basically chopped off her life. So I, I found that interesting. A lot of people sort of saying it's basically murder. I thought, oh, it's more like kidnapping. Yeah, and, but, and, and I mean, on that, what you're just saying as mm-hmm. well, I mean, as a theme question, she, Aurora, you know, like she's reinforcing that theme throughout her storyline anyway because... Mm. We learn at the very start she lives in her father's shadow because he's a, a you know a prize-winning author. Um, yes, she is awoken, and her reaction to that, uh, it, you know, and then when we we get a glimpse of her past through photos and stuff, you know, in the sort mm, of as yeah. we head into the third act, a little video, one, a little video of her friend that basically is employing her to go out there and actually live a life, you know. So it sort of sounds like she's a hesitant kind of person in living life. And then that is her question at the end as well, is to decide, you know, because she gets the chance right at the end again to go back to sleep. So she's, she's you know, showing us that thematic question again. So I agree. I actually did a bit of Googling after watching as well. And a lot of people thought this was a bit of a stalker film as well. That was a bit of a critique that, you know, it was quite a horrible idea that this person basically murders her and then, then she has to fall in love with him and she's forced to fall in yeah, love with see, him. I, I, I disagree with yeah, that because I, I do too. Yeah. I, I understand the whole... Yeah. Yeah. It, at the surface, it seems like a terrible thing to have done to her, but the, the the larger picture being, again, that she wasn't exactly having any real life anyway. Yeah, like that's she was, right. She was intending to like spend a couple of years in this home world, yep. a homestead, which probably would have been a primitive... Well, primitive compared to what she's used to, yes. farm. Yeah. And it would be hard and, and she probably, and then she was in turn around and, and go back to Earth. 250 years is a long time to be away from planet. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd be generations later, wouldn't you? But yeah, I, 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 I disagreed with those critics as well. I thought that in fact it, it did, uh, it, it was trying to tell a different story really than what those critics critics were picking on there seems to be a lot of that's the theme out there and criticizing this film that you know it's it's a stalker film that you know the woman has to fall in love with the man to live a life but i think she actually is given the chance she's actually given the chance to um try to you know rescue jim and she does and then she brings him back to life with every effort that she's got and she does do that and then at the, to right at the end, she gets the, the double chance to go back to sleep. You know, She and, also had the chance to kill Jim. Yeah, she did as well. If, she, if she was truly felt as if he had murdered her, he, yeah. she had all the chance to... It's he, as well, yeah. He actually sits there and you know, stops Surrenders. defending himself. Yeah, yeah. And she's got a, a great big chunk of, what is it, a crowbar, crowbar or something? Crowbar, yeah, I think, yeah. A science fiction crowbar. So she does, so to sort of you know, put that into context, she has the chance to get away from her stalker. She's not forced... To, totally in that moment in, in now, those different scenes. I do film, I so. do like that because but. if you go back to the Sleeping Beauty sort of situation, Prince Charming kisses Sleeping Beauty and then they have to live happily ever after, yeah. which is great for Prince Charming because now he's got himself a princess, gets to live in a castle. We don't know what he was doing prior to that. Uh, we're told he's a prince, but, you know, really? 
What kind of prince? <laughs> in this in this version, though, he, he wakes her up and she does get a chance, choice mm. there to take her revenge if that's yeah. what she wants. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, as an audience as well, we're given a good sort of thirty minutes of Jim. You know, the first thirty minutes of the film, we we know who Jim is as a character. You know, he's a mechanic. He's a down to earth guy. You know, he's in the lower class of the he's, ship. They, he's an they, awkward. They, Awkward he's as well. He's a bit awkward, yeah. He's a bit I, awkward. We have that really, scene with the jacket and stuff, you know. At the I really like. I really liked his awkward yeah. nature. That he wasn't. He wasn't Mister Smooth or Suave. No, no. he it, wasn't a superhero either. He like uses he was, the robot yeah. to pass the note to ask her out because he just can't bring himself to do it otherwise. Mm. And there's a number of other spots where yeah. he's kind of. He, he plays an awkward he, character very well. Yeah, actually, yeah. He's sort of. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Being a, a computer programmer myself, I've seen a lot of awkward people. Yes. And being yeah. an awkward person in many situations, like now. And and even <laughs> the fact when he says, she asked him about why is he going to Homestead, and he's like, oh, well, for a better life, like for something yeah. different, like for something better than what I have back on Earth, I'm a mechanic, you know. So you, you're getting this picture that for him, it's he's sort of done the best he can with his life on Earth, and here's a, here's a good chance for him. You he, know? he wants to actually make something... Yeah that he's he's responsible for and he's yeah. proud of I think because yeah. he was it was pointing out that he's basically just repairs things that the robots can't repair themselves that's right yeah and so yeah. he's he has no real creativity no freedom to hmm. to build yeah so so that so that was that was um, a good viewing experience overall so let's well let's move on then I think we'd like to rate our relative preference for all the movies we've reviewed and so far this being the first movie we reviewed I'm going to put it at right at number one because it's really hard to beat this one without watching any others so we're going to be ranking the films as we go each podcast and so this one has to be number one yeah <laughs> we're, we're no choice we're thinking of uh, ranking it amongst every sci-fi film we've ever watched but we're going to actually have a chance of putting these in some sort of order it also means then that the worst one on our list may still well be better than, you know, the, the top ten of the of many other lists. So that, that'll be yeah. that'll be good fun. So I agree. This one's at the top. So sorry. What did you have like a favourite scene in Passengers? Oh, a best scene or something that stood out to you at all? I had a couple of great scenes. Just because of the way I am, there's a scene where he's he's had his fun. He's got himself into the you know, top level suite. He's played basketball by himself. Uh, he's played computer games and he's grown himself a big bushy beard looking very cast away. Um, in fact, I think they were going for the Robinson Crusoe look. Yeah, definitely, I think. Because yeah. he chucks a bottle. He's been drinking heavily and feeling a bit down and he throws a bottle in rage and screams and it just goes clunk and rolls on the deck and he just kind of looks at it for a moment. I love the symbolism of that. The mm. fact that he's he has a bit of a scream and throws it like a hissy fit, and it's just futile. The bottle doesn't break. Yeah, just like his existence on the ship. Yeah, he's stuck. He's he's locked in, isn't he? You know. And it was good. It was good that breakdown montage as well, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, he, he he was trying to have some fun with the basketball and the dancing and the beard is growing, but there's an irony that we get as the audience that in fact he's kind of going crazy you know he's on his own he can't get off he's stuck yeah that, i liked that scene well too. the other thing i liked about that scene is later in the film there's kind of a similar scene that aurora does where she's discovered that she was woken up on purpose 
and she, in her fury and frustration, she hurls a big vase at the glass looking out into the emptiness of space. And the vase shatters, but the glass is completely untouched. It's like, it, it's kind of a mirror of the bottle scene, which is, but yeah, the bottle scene was really great. Uh, I'll just quickly have a couple others. Another one was the um, Aurora's running, jogging whilst Jim is apologizing and saying, you know, hey, let's be friends, more or less. And Aurora is sort of getting a bit frustrated with this and she gets to the end of the ship because the ship's a kilometre long or something. So she gets to the end, it's a dead end and she stops and has to turn around. And again, she shows a frustration. I, I quite like that. It, it speaks to the irony in me that here she's trying to run away and his voice is coming at him at her the whole time. She can't get away from this. This relationship has to be sorted out one way or another. She decides to take a crowbar to him is as the way of sorting that out. And uh, I, I think they're the three the three scenes that stood out at the time. I think because because of the irony in them, and, and it gave me a bit of a chuckle, yeah. which is a a strange thing to chuckle about as a, a guy getting to the edge of suicide and a woman feeling trapped by someone who's done her wrong. But but it showed the it, it presented it well. Yeah, and it showed the situation, the seriousness in that. that yeah, know, it summed it. They're it stuck. Summed the it ship up. is powerful. They're in there. They're, there's no way out. They're in. They're in a maze, aren't they? They're stuck. They're locked in. Yeah, they're going to have to come out with something. So, what about you? Do you have a, a favorite scene? I, I think the the one that really stood out and uh, was just that. Scene, there's a scene where the ship is malfunctioning and there's the lack of gravity suddenly kicks in, and uh, she Aurora's in the pool, and I just mm. thought that was a really cool scene. That the fact that she's in the pool, the ship loses gravity. She's not realising this and then the water starts going in all directions and it was really well done, I think, special effects-wise. And she gets trapped in a water bubble and we see Jim, he's um, he's just walking in his apartment sort of room or whatever and we have the Lawrence Fish- Fishburne character as well who's asleep and he just floats up Actually, and I love floats that. back he's, down. He's got himself so tightly tucked yeah. in and his, his arms, uh, the only thing, his arms sort of float up for a bit and they float back down. Yeah. It's like that yeah, that amused yeah. me greatly. That so, yeah. you know, so he just floats up normally, floats back down. He doesn't wake up. He's fine. You know, uh, Jim is thrown about the room and gets a bloody nose. Um, but really, Aurora is really put through the ringer and she's in that pool. And I just, I've never seen that, you know, in a lot of other space movies uh, and spaceship uh, movies, you have lack of gravity or gravity and sometimes they malfunction and of course they fly around but that idea of being in a pool and then she was drowned like she was literally drowning and just at that last second it kicked back in and she hits the ground Mm. she kind of starts breathing so she's okay but it's a real sort of moment of holding your breath for her um and and i mean it's probably a bit symbolic because she was in those throes of you know, uh, debating um, the relationship and, you know, thinking that he was still totally in the wrong. So I just, that scene to me was lovely, um, really exciting and really, you know, yeah, I held my breath. Um, a little fun scene was earlier in the story and it's probably like a little, re- it was a red herring sort of in the script writing and that's when um, he is actually, she's saying that she would know everyone because she's a writer and they go around the pods and he kind of quizzes Because writers don't make up No, they never make up anything. And he basically proves that she is wrong because everything she says about the people in the pods is wrong. Um, but they get to a, they get to the last person and it turns out she's a midwife. And so I think that was a nice little red herring because at this point the romance was at full swing 
And I straight away I thought, oh, she's going to get pregnant. Like that's going to be part of this story. Oh, wouldn't that be um, terrible? You know, stuck on the ship. And then I thought, well, then they've got the midwife here. You know, they've setting mm. that up. And I think I just totally fell for it. And I kind of after the viewing, I was like, well, she never got pregnant. We never we never saw that. That was never detailed in the story. So I kind of liked that. It was a little narrative twist that it never actually happened. Well, my wife, well, my wife and I talked about the possibility of them having children. And then I, I thought about it, and that was one of those, I think people referred to it as a fridge horror. So the, at first was like, oh, yeah, and they have a little family, and they're, you know, the, the they're Noah's Ark. <laughs> building up the, the, the garden and things. And I thought, hang on, those poor kids, they would be stuck there without any other kids or any other social interaction, no mates of their own to find, no, no boyfriends or girlfriends or partners, doomed to an even worse existence, I think, than their parents because at 90 years later or whatever these these kids you know the the rest of the passengers wake up and you can have a couple of sort of 70 year olds maybe or, or 80 year olds kicking around as being the kids mm. yeah no it's gone and yeah. oh, so, so they've sort of lived only a life on the ship and maybe not even make it and then you know oh, yeah without terrible. doctors or any sort of other maybe a bit of extra help you know, the worst could happen as well. No, but they I didn't go there. They didn't go there. They so didn't go good. there. And, and it was probably, you know, when you do do what we just said, you don't get it. Third, a little bit la- just last is I like that scene that she beats the living shit out of um, Jim. So in that anger of realising that he's, you know, he awoken her, mm. there is a scene where he's in bed and she runs in and she starts just punching and kicking and really pounding him. And I thought that was a great thing for her character. I thought that was really cool that they included that. And again, it kind of, you know, debating what critics say about the movie, like this is sort of a, a counter argument to that again. I think that she, yeah, she had a say as a character and she came close. She, as you said, she picked up the crowbar and it was just like, oh, wow, she she could kill him and he was willing to surrender to that a little bit. Uh, but I just liked that fact that she was really laying into him. I, I also <laughs> like her dimension. I also like the fact there that the cliche would have been that, yeah, he surrenders, he puts his hands down and goes, okay, you know, you can smash my head in if you want yeah. and she doesn't and then she also then doesn't immediately fall in love with him or, or you know that, right, that yeah. oh it turns out i actually yeah. she's gone actually i've realized that though i'm really upset with you i'm not a murderer not, you know, like yeah. I, I don't feel like actually murdering you out of that yeah that's not me yeah so she kind of puts puts it down as being okay now he's just an, an um a disliked person as opposed to someone she actually has to kill yeah which is i i like i like that she didn't swip uh flip from murderous rage to oh he's given up oh, oh he's so yeah. sweet i love you oh, oh i love you it turns again, that yeah. i do actually I love sure you do, yeah yeah like <laughs> the whole thing it's not until um yeah not until later on when she she starts to realize that they're actually struggling in that you know I, I think the fact that he she she sort of realized that he was woken yeah by accident and was stuck there for over a year uh, by himself. And she realized, okay, well, I still don't like him, but he's kind of, we're we're both kind of uh, victims of this situation in in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though she did get away. But to tell you the truth, I'm surprised he didn't wake up more people. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what he should have done, just woken up a whole bunch of people, you know, and it's just like, well, you can't, you know, we're all together with this now and we're going to have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, so there's some good scenes. Any worse scenes? Any any scene that sort of you didn't actually like or thought was a bit unplausible or didn't work? I'll tell you mine 
was when Gus, so that's Lawrence Fishman's yeah, yeah. character, when he actually dies, it's just, it was a bit too cheese factor for me because he, he sort of says, you know, a line uh, of wisdom and then he says, oh, the ladies love my, you know, the a, a man in uniform kind of thing. And then he just cocks it, like literally, you know, there yeah, wasn't was... this, I didn't mind the scenes before that with him and, and the fact that he had so many ailments and he was dying. I didn't even mind like the words of wisdom, but it just, it just was like, here's a, here's a line of dialogue and then boom. <laughs> I'm dead on the floor in the observatory well, room. It's one of those whatever, things, though, because you knew he had to die. Yeah. Because it, could you imagine, that would be a peculiar uh, situation, the three of them sitting around for the next 30 years yeah, before he dies of old age. Like, <laughs> That's like, right, yeah. So, they had to make him sick quickly, didn't they? Yeah, they, he had to die. And, but they, and they also couldn't have him sacrifice himself to save the ship because no. that then would take away the drama between yes, yeah. uh, Jim and Aurora. Yeah. So, yeah, worst scenes, uh, yeah, not... I would say the worst scene I thought was where he's holding the door as a shield against the venting fusion reactor. There's just... I mean, I, I, I give a lot of, lot of leeway to science fiction and, 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 and the things for drama purposes, but it's just... Yeah, a fusion reactor is burning at the temperature of the sun. And so he's being blasted with not just a plasma in the million degrees centigrade range, but also so many you know, reactive ions and free particles and neutrons and got like, there's just, he really would have been disintegrated in an instant. Yeah. Uh, I would have preferred had it opened and he got blasted to the side and so he was kind of hanging on to the side a bit and he was yeah. shooting past him yeah, yeah. and something happened. but. I, I, I'll forgive it a bit, I mean, really, because yeah. it didn't really matter what happened there. The point was that he was untethered from the ship yeah. and flying off. Um, and, and, and anyway, the point of that was that he, he was willing to sacrifice himself, you know, like, again, because, mm. again, there was that question, like the thematic question, I think, that we've talked about earlier, that he was then willing to sacrifice himself not just for her, but for the the five thousand oh, yeah. people that were on the ship. That's what he actually said. He goes, "There's five thousand people on this ship." Yeah, you so can't forget if, the five thousand. No, no. That, so, so it was a bigger p- picture than just him and her, um, and the fact that she then. I, I do like in that scene where he decides to go out because again, she's starting to question, and she doesn't. She's realizing she doesn't actually want him to go. She doesn't want him to die, and not. I don't think it's so much again the romance feeling. It's just more her going back to the crowbar. She kind of doesn't want to murder him. She doesn't want him to die. She wants him to stay. You know, and that, and that, that was her leaning more towards. Hang on, you don't have to die here. And he's saying, "Well, no, I, I have. Well, I have to try this. We have to do this. Otherwise, the five thousand die. Yeah, everyone, you know? everyone dies. Yeah. And really, in storytelling, that's that's us as an audience going, "Oh, Jim, doesn't really matter that you woke her up now, does it? You know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's trying to save everyone. <laughs> it's try. It's an appeal to the emotions that this guy, yeah, he did wake her, and maybe that was a mistake. But here he is trying to save the day again. He's yeah. not a hero. He's an everyday person." And he's just trying was, to yeah, save it, the day. It was bringing his humanity back. Yeah. And the way you have to do it in movies, you've got to have a, a big dramatic action yeah, for that to happen. Right. Because the real, in, in real life, I suppose it, it could take days, weeks, years for people to come to terms with, you know, traumas and so yeah. forth. In movies, they've got to come up with some at least 
somewhat plausible way mm. for uh, someone to to demonstrate that they have changed, changed or grown yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, and that's usually where you have them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, sacrifice or, or try to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. But I do get your point. Is it? But then maybe it's a space. Maybe it's that special space suit. It is in the future, so maybe that space well, suit could see, handle that, the nuclear fusion a bit that's more. A, that's the thing. Is you know, you like, know, come I'm, on. I'm willing to give this. I, I was willing that, to forgive it a little bit. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. And the boots. You know, they locked him to the ground. You yeah. Know? Just, that, that magnetic. <laughs> magnetic that, boots. They they were more powerful than the nuclear fusion. That so, would have been. In, you know. Yeah, really powerful. But it did. It, 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 that scene didn't bother me too much because I was. I suppose I was a bit sucked into the idea of, you know, oh. I, he was he was sacrificing himself. I just, and if she I had, was, you know, if I had to yeah. pick a worst, uh, yeah. a yeah. worst scene, I I agree with your um, uh, deck chief dying last gasp. It was very quick. Yeah. It, it was, but they had to sort of get him through and out of the way and hand over. Really, his his only purpose really was to. Provide the access key Correct. to the rest of the place yeah. and give a bit of context yeah. to say the ship is about to explode in yeah. three minutes. Yeah. Well, he gave them ability to get on the deck, and we saw how it all malfunctioned from that day that the meteorite hit and Jim was awoken, and you know it, the ship was kind of going to just keep disintegrating over time, wasn't it? You know. So he gave us all that information, and he did question Aurora over that. She said to him, "He murdered me," and she said, "He says a great line actually, which is a drowning." man always pulls someone down with them yeah and he's a drowning man you know and it was it was that again that was a question to her you got to give him maybe a little bit of leeway because he was here on his own for a year and it's yeah. it's, it's similar to a drowning man you I've, know, I've seen a lot help. of criticism of that where people yeah. are sort of saying oh how ridiculous he just did this terrible thing I have a feeling that a lot of people aren't kind of really putting themselves in the place the like of, yeah the character yeah a year of solitary confinement no matter how beautiful the cage, he's still knocking about for more than a year. I think it was like 13 months or something, or one year and three weeks, I think he said. And then he listed off the days and hours. And it, it really, I'm surprised it took him that long. Like, I think that was a heroic effort to go that long with just an android as company. But actually, yeah. speaking, of, speaking of these things, androids and, and the technology involved, so a few points or a few notes I, I got out of that, which were really good. Number one, uh, I'm, a, I'm a computer programmer, so I'm always interested in the artificial intelligence and, and the computers involved. And there's a number of artificial intelligences there. And what I really liked is none of them were sentient. Arthur even was just a, a sophisticated chatbot uh, who was quite good at that. But the, certainly the other AIs involved, the, um, the little help kiosk, and the uh, the the woman giving the lesson when he wakes yeah, up, yeah. very much chatbots, yeah. just reflecting questions back or just responding with a "you need to ask this yeah. human" or "you should." So it was it, it was similar to added a great asking realism. Google, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, it wasn't anything. Yeah, hey, hey Google, hey Google, how do I do such and such? And then Google says, "Oh, I found this Wikipedia entry yeah, that right. says." So that it was just the ability of the, you know, the, yeah, the, those programs were just running, weren't they? There wasn't anything. Yeah, they, they didn't they didn't throw any artificial. I think they had to do that also to increase his isolation. But it was it was a nice touch of realism. Yeah, that's cool. I also had a bit of a look then at yeah the thing that fascinates me a lot in these movies is space travel, and it's quite nice that they weren't 
going faster than the speed of light. I think they're going 50%, he said. Uh, that we, do, we don't have any technology currently that would allow you to accelerate to 50% the speed of light. It's about a, a thousand times faster than the fastest accelerant we have at the moment. Because of course you can only go, the maximum speed a rocket can go is the speed at which you're shooting stuff out the back. Yeah. So it's, it's the same as if you're running and you want to run faster than so how many, however fast, you've got to move your legs that fast. Yes. And if you can't move your legs fast enough, you're not going to go that fast. So, but given that, um, there's a few bits on there. So one of them was the gravity engine failing. This one, of course, popped up on a, on a few people's radars in that there's no friction in space. So if you start your spaceship spinning to generate gravity, it will essentially keep spinning. It'll, it'll eventually stop because of entropy. You know, the people moving around on board, slight distribute, redistribution of mass and so forth would eventually drain it. But probably for the 120 years, the spin they got when they left Earth would just keep going without any input. So I wanted to try and find a way to explain that ship actually needing some sort of positive input to maintain gravity. And the answer to that came from the ion drives they're using. So using ion thruster, it specifically says main ion drive offline or something. There's that yep. sort of funny blue ring at the end shooting the blue fire at the back, which is largely what ion thrusters look like. The more powerful ion thrusters, which this one would be one of, because it didn't have, for example, a, um, a physical manifold. It was, it was entirely electromagnetic. It, in order to get that sort of vortex where it's shooting at one end, it would have to be spinning like a funnel, which would induce a torque. Like if you have a helicopter and you turn the blades on and you don't have that little blade at the back or a second counter-rotating blade, your helicopter will spin in circles because of Newton's first law, every action has an equal opposite reaction. You spin something clockwise, whatever's spinning clockwise, it will actually spin anti-clockwise. So if you've got something that's spinning a magnetic field, shooting ions out the back at the sort of rate and velocity that would be required for a kilometre long ship, to get to half the speed of light, then you're gonna induce a, a big torque in the opposite direction, which means the whole ship would be spinning with the, or opposite to the magnetic field. So in order to maintain that at some sort of a reasonable rate, I would suggest, and in fact, you'll notice that the bridge ring, which was inside, is actually spinning the opposite direction to the, the outer deck rings. You would need to have some sort of a drive to spin the ship or to slow it down, to stop it from spinning out of control at half the speed of light and turning everyone into pancakes. So that's my explanation for why the gravity drive failure caused it to stop spinning and why it had to have some sort of positive input in order to maintain a reasonable gravity. It's probably some sort of fail safe that would have kept, let it go to zero gravity rather yeah. than spinning into a tornado of death, <laughs> which, which itself, I think, being not a comedy or a horror, it's they, yeah. they weren't going to go that direction. No. But, but there and you go. I think that's that's a reason why the gravity failed. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, yeah, because everyone always asks that question on the line. Uh, so there we go. And I mean, we saw how the ship responded to failures and trying to rectify those failures throughout the film. So yeah, it was redirecting. Then, yeah, it was redirecting power, and then and that's why even when Gus uh, does come up and. He's like, oh, there's lots of little processing fires happening throughout the ships. Well, what's the theme here? And so to me, it felt very realistic, that, that concept, because it's similar to our computing now, isn't it? That one drive 
slows down and another drive will pick it up to, to try to sort of compensate, you know, and fans kick in when things are heating up. And, you know, so the engine systems that we currently use uh, in technology, it was, it, was, it was an expansion of that. It felt yeah, very I, realistic to me. I like that a um, lot of the tech there, some of it pushed into the realms of the fiction. So yeah, I, the, yeah, the fiction, like into Arthur C. Clarke, he always says that the sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. I don't think he always says that, but he has at least said it once, I think. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's where we get this, like the fusion engine. We have fusion reactors now, but they don't have glass windows that you can see in, and they don't have sort of free spinning fusion. So clearly they've got much more advanced technology in terms of magnets and superconduction and the control computer must have been a, a quantum computer in order to be able to manage it in the mm. way it did but so th that was quite good um and i mean the ship design itself like when you know at the start of the film and we see it a few times if you just the the big wide shot of the ship it's something i have seen in science magazines you know as, as them discussing the possibility of space travel getting, you know, quicker and better, you know, equipped for us as humans. That design, I'm not talking about the specifics of the the actual thrust or the, yeah. or the, the, the engine, but just looking at it as big, you know, spinning thing, you know, shield out the front for meteors and things like that. I've seen it before in, in fiction, in, in science um, magazines, you know, talking about the future. And so straight away I saw it, I was like, oh, I've, I've kind of seen this before, this design, you know. It's, yeah, it's not good. something that's now but it looks realistic and then because those first couple of minutes of the film are we see the meteor shower coming there's warnings of it we see the computer responding to it and then it gets hit with you know this giant meteor uh which is obviously um you know pierces the ship uh, and we see all these warning systems go off and then the the, the computer trying to heal itself in certain ways and obviously then jim is a failure that awakens you know um, and then we follow him. He's the human, of course. But I, I thought that was all very realistic, actually. Um, and I did see online they talked about, you know, the little uh, gadgets they used, the little screen that, that, that he had. That was actually something they built. They weren't using little green screens. Um, you know, traditionally they use green screens and it's all CGI'd. Yeah. They were actually running off gaming platforms and they were realistic little uh, screens that they built them for the movie. So they, they tried to kind of, you know, obviously artificial, they weren't doing what they were doing, but they actually tried to make them real, a bit more realistic for the actors. So it looked good to me. Yeah, I saw shots of the sets, uh, some outtakes and so forth, and most of the sets were constructed. Mm, yeah. The, um, you know, what was it, the main the main gallery and so forth they're walking through was, was constructed. And I have to say, you're, you're talking about the, the fairest failures and the one that I found, again, it's, it's strange what I find amusing, but when Arthur malfunctions and he's like zipping backs and forwards and then he stops at the end of the bar and slams his face <laughs> in the bar and drags up knocking all the glass yeah, out. It was, you, it was bizarre, wasn't it? If you're talking about a call out to other movies, how many Westerns, spaghetti Westerns over back in the 70s? Correct, yeah. Did you know, the bad guy get punched in the face, thrown into the bar and then dragged up the bar? Mm. Uh, I thought that was a bit of a bit of an homage to that. Yeah. I, I I found it most amusing that he was sort of and he had he kept his grin, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. amiable grin as he got knocked about the place, smashing it, it and doing it to himself, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. But one, yeah, you're right. That idea of someone being dragged across the bar, you know, in a Western movie, definitely. 
Um, so what about some of the technical aspects of the film? Did anything stand out to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, oh, that's I was looking at, I was looking at the, the technology. The technology, yeah. I was, no. I was looking at uh, trying fine. to figure out how you'd get to half the speed of light. Yeah, and I, I, I was focusing more on the technicality, so I can take that up as a bit and of a thing. How, how many fusion generators they'd need. Yeah. Actually, I've got a little bit of trivia here because I was looking at fusion generators. They, they've got one there like to produce their electricity. And I thought, well, I have no clue how much power you get from a fusion generator. Yeah. So I found a, um, an estimate for a small to moderate size fusion generator. 1.5 gigawatts, nearly 2 gigawatts. Right. Uh, so in, in context, Western Australia has a peak capacity of about 4.5 gigawatts. So two fusion generators could basically run all of Western Australia. Yep. And eight to ten generators could run all of Australia in its most peak hot weather power usage. So in comparison to the hundreds of generators we have now. So it's a super powerful machine. Oh, very like, powerful. And, and, yeah. and they've gone they've gone full science fiction on this. Mm. So you'd imagine they'd have a far more efficient version yeah, than that. Correct. Yeah. So anyway, I just found that fascinating. So that's, that's what I was focusing that's on. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. And... Fusion, fusion bombs that would get you faster. Yeah, probably, but, <laughs> it's but they a powerful thing. And I mean, look at the what is it, at the end of the movie when uh, Jim is floating through space, untethered. He throws the hatch cover, hatch cover, yeah. to to sort of you know rebound himself away, and that thing just gets disintegrated, doesn't it? So straight through the iron drive. Yeah, <laughs> off it goes. Um, but filmmaking side, there there was a lot that I thought the film did in good ways. Um, and I mean, I'll just probably quickly say acting wise, you know, yeah, Chris Pratt is suddenly come out of nowhere, hasn't he? He's been um, around floating in the sort of back streams, I think of Hollywood a little bit. I've loved him as Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec. So he's got that comedy aspect to him. And I think you said at the start, being a bit awkward, he, he, he fitted that really well. He had that awkwardness to him. And even in that sort of desperation, isolation, you know, there was a bit of comedy going on because, you know, he's walking around in the nude. Um, we see that he he tells the ro- the cleaning robots off and then he like throws some food at them like dog, you know, and the, one of them comes Lures back. Lures them he, back. He, yeah, yeah. He suddenly realised he's just chased away the only company the he only has. The only company he has, you know. Um, a Roomba. Yeah, how he talks with Arthur and all those sort of things. So I thought that was really good. Jennifer Lawrence is great. Um, you know, she's a very strong female lead, you know, suits Hollywood. Um, and and they, they they do suit each other, don't they? You know, I think they. Did, I watched they did, a few interviews with yeah. them together, and they really seem to have they fitted a, a good bit of camaraderie yeah. together. Good. Um, being that this script was actually around for ten years before it, it finally got went into production, um, there's a lot of female actresses that were kind of thrown at this, and and different actors. Kanal Reeves was one that was really interested for quite a while, and I believe. His production company had something to do with the, the getting the script off the ground as well. Um, but then he, he he was looking for something a bit darker than this film. Um, and Lawrence Fishburne, I mean, he does show up. He's very minor. Um, and, and when, of course, straight away there's a, a clear connection. Do you remember what science fiction film he was in about 20 years ago? Uh, other than The Matrix, it would, would be... Uh, no, no, it's a spaceship uh, science fiction. Horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah another... another that Australian dude from... Well, actually, there's a Jurassic Park connection there, isn't there? There is as well, yeah. Because... Um, but I was thinking Chris more Pratt just... with Jurassic World yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. With, with... What's his name that Australian 
Uh, Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Yes, yes. So there is a... a Lawrence Fishburne, Honest Face. There's, what, two degrees of separation there of of actors. But, um, you know, I mean, apart from, as I said, the scene where he dies, a little bit cheesy. I I mean, the scene where he actually says to Jim, uh, you woke her up, you know, and he goes, you you know, like he admits to it. And then Lawrence Fishburne just goes, damn. (laughs) Like, you don't get many actors that can deliver a line like that. But again, just seeing him pop out of nowhere, you know, he's like, who planted this tree? And... In my ship, uh, I got um, a, I got a real rush of hope at yeah, that point yes, when you hear that. Yeah, yeah. You go, oh. someone else. Yeah, because they've both been trying to get into the crew quarters right. and all sorts of things. Yeah, and it was good. It was a good game breaker that. And then, um, you know, Arthur does. Uh, Michael Sheen, sorry, plays Arthur the android. And to me, I was just loving that because of that shining homage, which is definitely there. Because if you bring up uh, what Arthur looks like, and then the bartender from The Shining, you can bring those images up and they're, they're dressed identical, their hair is very similar. And it's funny because in The Shining, he's a ghost and he's creepy and he does do a lot of those cliches, whereas in this one, he's kind of extra sweet and and nice as the uh, robot. So, yeah, I really liked the, the those four key actors. Weird that Andy Garcia, you know, the Australian actor, suddenly the captain at the end for 10 seconds of film. I don't know if you picked up yeah. on that. Sorry, yeah, but, you know, a big actor like Andy Garcia has been in all sorts of things over the years. Huge career. I saw him. He's listed on the cast of, of it. and He doesn't even have a line, yeah. you know. So I don't, I'm not too sure what happened there. I'm not sure if they edited something out or what the deal is. But to me, the winning part of the technicality of this film is the design, the design itself, the production design. And they were nominated um, for a uh, Oscar. So there's a couple of guys, Guy Hendricks-Dias and Gene Sedina. Um, I just was blown away, not only by the bar, because I was seeing that the shiny, but I, lo- I loved how the ship looked, you know, the, the straight away with those pods, you know, the long, long shot of all the pods, and they, they looked like real pods to me. As you said, did, like a lot of the sets were Did built. you notice the number of fire extinguishers in the yes, scenes? Yes, yeah, I did. When I was, I was them. watching it through... The second time, yes, to sort of cat pick up on things, and I'm noticing certainly uh, when he's first woken up, I think pretty much every scene in the background is a fire extinguisher. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're, they're intending some sort of message there. I was going, is that? And didn't notice it in later scenes. Yeah, the right. fire extinguishers sort of seemed to disappear. So I wasn't sure if if they mean something there, but the detail of having a fire extinguisher in you know, crew living quarters, oh, not yeah. crew living passenger quarters, and things. Yeah, it, it meant that someone was thinking about it. Yes, definitely. But I, I, I did notice that. But I mean, you just kind of to me, it was just such an art piece. The production design, because of the curves, the lights, the you know, it was all very blended. And a bit that really did also stand out for me is the captain's bridge. That it it did have that curve on the inside, and it was interesting that we each time that when Jim first tries to break in, and then later with um, Aurora. You, you see the bridge and it disappears. The lines are curved, like it's going up or down, you know. Yeah, it looks and like they're in a, a little room. Yeah, yeah, but no, and they, they have the look. They look down there and then they, they but then we never see them walk down it. We never see them go down it. And it's, oh, it's eerie to me, but in a good way. Like I was just like, wow, this, it felt it was such, so three-dimensional. It's such a different place yeah. because the, the living area was all... Swooping designs and yes. you know, like cruise yeah. ship, yes. hotel. It felt like a cruise ship, yeah. And then the the ship. crew part, as you said, or the the um, yeah, the, the bridge ring, was just that 
almost uh, compared to the kilometre long open yeah. vistas, it was like a little claustrophobic. The, the curvature was such that yes, yeah, it looked like they were basically in a, a little room with just one door with lots of scorch marks around it where they tried to get in. Yeah, so... I, but I liked all that and I can understand it being nominated. The pool, again, I thought was cool. How it was, you know, like you have this, you know, cruise ship kind of idea, you know, to the extreme. And that they were playing off that idea throughout the film with their rooms as well. You know, the fact that he was in poor man's little squishy oh. room at the start and then he, he gets the upmarket room uh, that he breaks into and she's in an upmarket room. But the pool uh, design was really great as well. Um, Sound-wise, they they were nominated for an Oscar and some other awards for sound. And and I can understand more on a second viewing. Um, You know, at the start, there's that Elvis uh, JXL mix song from the 90s that we might know or remember, um, which is about being having conversation. And during that scene, that's the montage of uh, uh, Jim breaking down from being too isolated, you know. there's also like off the on the second viewing I noticed with the music there's an eerie beat that they use for the ship so it's kind of like a bit of a motive of what the ship is malfunctioning and it's sort of I mean being that the film's not a scary film like it's not trying to be a horror um, they could have upped that but they kept that really subtle and I noticed it more on a second viewing than on the first but I thought that was pretty cool. Interesting um, thing there because yeah. I, I looked and found that yeah they got nominated for their sound. Score, yep. original sound score, or whatever, yes, uh, yeah. whatever that ward is for, uh, and I, I couldn't think of any of the sound or music in the show. Like I thought, oh, geez, that can't have been that good. But I thought, oh, actually, maybe it was so good that it just blended into the entire movie. And there was no point. You just said there was a you know little more conversation song. Yeah. I only realised that when you said that then and when it was, I went, actually, yeah, I think that was yeah, there. so it's that Elvis, Jake's that will mix Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah so I've, I've got to say that the, there have been movies where the sound has, has slapped me in the yeah. face quite yeah. hard and they yeah. weren't intending it to, but yeah. but certainly this movie, the it, it all blended so well. It wasn't about the music, so there yeah. weren't any, there was no let it go. Yeah, going. well, I, I and I agree. It didn't The music on the first viewing didn't really didn't really stand out to me at all. But on a second one, I was kind of thinking what, you know, and I, at that point I still didn't realize it was nominated, but I was listening to it a bit more intently as, as you do. Um, and I did, as I said, notice the motive and stuff like that. Um, and then lastly, narrative, you know, and we've probably already talked a bit about this really, but like narrative, it's, it pretty much was the good old Blake Schneider, uh, beats. They were all there. I yeah, felt, you since, know, they, since they, studying that, I can't watch movies now <laughs> without, Seeing them seeing all happen. Moments, yeah. I was watching. Was I watching last night? Uh, Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black, and there was the the opening scene where he's he's the mailroom boy. Yeah. And then the the new worker that's that he's showing around. That's how we're introduced to him. Just turns around and says to him, "The theme of the sh- the movie, you know, like <laughs> page five. Here's the theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like here's the theme. Just quoted directly to him." You know, go out and do something. Oh, okay. And then I, and I, I just leaned over to my wife and said, hey, "That was a theme stated. Surely we're <laughs> going to get the catalyst, yes, we're which get is going to be the main part of the story." Yeah. And sure enough, the very next scene, he writes or, or plagiarizes a bit, and yeah. he's sent on his trip. Yeah, and we and we do we 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 have that Hollywood's big on those kind of beats, and I think Passenger. I found on the first viewing, I was like. 
oh, this is ticking those boxes. I think I sort of said that before. Like, yeah. I, I, it did take me on that adventure that Hollywood does, and I think it did it very well. Um, you know, it's a film that does tick all those boxes. It doesn't let you down, which which was something I, I like. Kept me going. Um, you know, if you think about Blake Schneider, at the beginning of the film, it's the ship. At the end of the film, it's the ship. They're opposites. What's happened to the ship? You know, the characters yeah. aren't at the start and they're not at the end, you know, Jim and Aurora. Um, so straight away you've got those opposite images. You know, at the end it's their effect on the ship, which is that they've grown, you know, they've lived there for 90 years, you know, and their yeah. effect on the ship. At the start it's very sterile, it's on its own, it's lonely. You know, at the end it's had that modification. Um, but, you know, yeah, we have an 11-minute mark. 11. <laughs> right on the 11 minute yeah. is when he realises he's totally alone and he will die on the ship, that he has the 90 years or 88 years, whatever it is. Um, good old debate. What is he going to do? Depression. Is he going? And then it, that, it, that comes to that pivotal point where he could kill himself. Mm. If you remember, he could walk outside of the ship without a spaceship and decides not to. So, you know, good old debate. He, he has a ticket out of the place, really. He could kill himself, but he can't do that. Um, and then he, decides on and then the B story aurora suddenly you know i think oh, it's the he same trips the, over the he bottle, trips over the bottle. yeah so you know i did like that as yes. well that the the bottle of that he threw in rage and didn't break and he was like uh, well upset by that that's right turned out to be the thing that introduces him to aurora yeah definitely definitely so um that ha- happens and then and meeting her he there is the moral question debating should I wake or not? You said before he's the Robertson Crusoe, and then he goes, I'm going to shave. I'm going to shave today. I'm going to, you know, and he starts cutting him and he's looking at himself in the mirror going, don't wake her, don't wake her. Mm. And the next shot is him waking her. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but you can see where his, his mental state is at. And then fun and games, you know, it's two people on a ship. What are they going to get up to? Well, a man and a woman. What are they going to get up to, really? Fall in love. Dance off. You know, and they say they, they play, they date, they romance, you know, they, they, they have fun with each other. As you said, he sends her the little robot. Um, and there's a nice little thing with that from her, I think, which is you took long enough. And at the end of the film, she says the same thing when, she, when he gives her the ring. Mm, she yeah. sort of plays off that as well, like you took long enough. Um, midpoint as well, right on an hour. This is pretty much a two-hour film. Midpoint. What's the midpoint, sorry? That's what do you think? You know, when everything turns, fun and games yeah, is over. It's the opposite, isn't What's it? What's the opposite? What what is the pivotal point of the story? The midpoint, you think? Oh, what do I think? The midpoint of this particular one <laughs> was when Arthur is it's um, it's a peculiar. See, I'm trying to remember the way they did it, but Arthur said, "How are you all going? It's all good." Oh, yes. So he says. Uh, is is everything okay, Jim's? Oh yes, there's no secrets between us. That's right, yeah. And he walks off, and then that's merely where my heart went. Oh, Jim, why'd you say that? Because uh, yeah, and then so they go, oh yes, of course. Wasn't it a shame that he had to wake you up? He's like, you're <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. midpoint crashing down because he was going to propose to her. I think you know he'd made her the ring, and yeah, her finding out that he had actually deliberately awoken her so she was stuck whereas he wasn't um so perfect like right on that middle point of the film you know so as an audience member you're going yep okay now the shit hits the fan you know what happens now um and i liked that 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 did that well i thought and um you know bad guys closing in you know the ship is after that point as well the ship really starts to malfunction you know we've had little malfunctions the major stuff starts happening 
Um, Gus then awakens and really, yeah, he is there to to give them that little bit more information that's about a, the ship. Extra bit of the inspiration which yeah, leads yeah. on and to And he the next debates, part. you know, debates it. But the fact the fact that he is dying, the ship kinda of killed him in, in awakening him and he does die quickly, which is an all is lost, you know, a whiff of death. He is the yeah. whiff of death. Um and then Dark Knight of the Soul is that well, basically, the ship is going to terminate. So they have the choice to save themselves, save the 5,000 people. Um, and, and I think I said it before, really, but that Jim is deciding, I'm going to go do the reactor. And I liked that. I liked that she questions his decision and sort of saying she's questioning herself. Um, and Aurora knows that if he goes out there, he's probably going to not come back. Um, and that that is a really good breaking into three is her telling him, basically not to go that she wants him to come back because that's a transition of that whole, you know, debate on he's not a murderer anymore, you know. You know, what I think would have been extra dramatic in that point where she's um, been presented with the fact that Jim is going to go out and quite probably die is had they already brought up the fact, oh, you can put yourself back into sleep in the auto dock. If they'd said that beforehand, then... Then that point there, which is like, well, I'm going to go off and die, would suddenly give her an easy way out. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, because if he's dead, then I can just take the auto dock and, and I'm asleep and I've back to my old life, mm. which would have made, I think, would have made that that decision, that the hesitance of hers go, no, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. But maybe they didn't want to spoil a surprise yeah, of, yeah. oh, now she does have a way out, but yeah. oh, she decides to hang around. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a good point, but it, it, the way they did it does also work because it's just, again, giving a character an out, isn't it? You know, like, she, mm. she, she, you know, by that point, it's like she's brought him back to life. She still now has another out, you know, like she doesn't have to stay with this stalker. She can still get out, you know, and um, and he's okay with that. And then we have finale, yeah, the reactor, he goes to the vent. Uh, we, we discussed that before. She, she risks her own life, gets him, you know, Right, grabbing the tether. You know, she can't yeah, that, reach him. That bit reminded me of in. The Martian. Yeah, definitely. I, I read yeah. the book beforehand, which is very similar. Mm-hmm. But the movie, The yeah. Martian, also uh, does that, that saying. I think the I think the book um, gave you better feeling that he was probably going to die. Yes, yeah. Than the movie because you're going to expect him to leave the movie. But yeah, it was a the same sort of level of tension there because he he could die at that point. And still have a good movie if they yep. wanted to have kind of that bittersweet ending, the sad yeah, ending. Yeah, the sad ending. I'm yeah. glad that I don't like sad endings. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they, they shit me, tell you the truth. Like, they, they, I mean, really, a sad ending is a bit of a anti-hero movie, which has to has to be structured a bit different to yeah. these ones. Like these ones are not, and even, even The Martian. The Martian's not really an anti-hero movie, so. He does have to kind of, if it's sad, just to make that kind of ram home the drama, I think as an audience, that's when you're more disappointed. But other films that, like Donnie Darko, where, you know, it, it is an anti-hero film, you go on that journey and you go, yeah, oh, that's yeah, great. No, yeah, you know it's, it's, it's great. not going to end. Yeah. It's not going to end well for anyone. Um, no, no. So, yeah, and, there's, you know, so it's a great dramatic, and I did think as a whole structure, you know, we had the setup. Oh, it's an interesting question. Then we have romance for a good chunk, 30 minutes of the film. Then we have kind of bad things happening for 30 minutes. And then we have the main characters trying to make everything good again with the ship and with each other. Uh, and well, I think a little bit of metaphor. Quite, yeah, yeah, fair, fair. But, but heading to a good, 
you know, what we want from Hollywood. Great climax, you know. Oh, you know, he's going to be blasted into space. She has to dive out. Oh, she can't reach him. She's got to grab the tether. Oh, he's dead already. (laughs) (laughs) Got to put him into a machine. You've got to remember the code to the machine that Lawrence Fishburne gave you. So, you know, the whole time you're kind of biting your nails going, come on, come on, come on, you know, like, so there's a lot of good tension. The good writing, I think, like really building up the tension. Um, It was no wonder that this was a, a, a script that, Lots of people wanted, they just couldn't get it made. And then, yeah, the final image, you know, that they they did decide to make a life. And we, even though we don't get to see it, they did make a life. You know, when, when the captain, Andy Garcia, comes out for 10 seconds, we see the tree is growing, the robots are doing different things, there's plant life, they've altered the water. You know, they've had a life, haven't they? They've had a rich life, which, again, is and that theme. They've question. had that effect. They're both looking for to have an effect on the world. They are, and they've affected That's, the ship, haven't they? She you know, wanted so. to produce her masterpiece novel yep. or documentary piece, whatever it was, and he wanted to, uh, I think he wanted to build a little house for himself. Yeah. And so they both, they both did that anyway, yeah, even yeah. though they didn't make it a homestead, yeah, which is yeah. coming back to that theme that uh, Arthur suggested of, of finding your sense of place regardless of your actual location. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I, I liked it. And I think technicality-wise it did that well. So good sound. You know, the, the actors they chose were suited those roles and they were good, you know, in those roles. Um, fantastic production design. I love it. I think if you're into design of it sets was, and stuff, this is top notch. Particularly because a lot of it was actually made. It yeah. wasn't uh, graphics, computer graphics on a green yeah, screen, which yeah. would have been easy to do with their budget. Yeah. And a couple of nice homages, as I said, like The Shining, 2001, um, Wally as well, really the the sort of the way the spaceship, the design, the the idea of the spaceship traveling people through space, you know, keeping them alive. Years or something yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was um, some nice homages there. I okay. Think. Well, yeah, yeah. Speaking of the writer, uh, it's two things about him. One, he's a massive nerd, which is quite likely since his his dad. Was it, what was his his oh, his dad was a like. Electronics engineer. His mum's a computer programmer. So he didn't have much hope in that. But <laughs> do you know? Do you know any other films he's written? Um, Some science fiction. In yeah, there. there's a, c- a couple that have come out recently. You've got me on the. I, that wasn't something ah, I, I wrote any. So I wrote he, any he was he was the fault of uh, he was at fault for Prometheus. Okay. Yes. So he, he wrote that yeah, one. Right. I don't I don't know what his original script was actually. The way to, Prometheus had a few. Um, story issues okay so he he was involved in that one but he's also dealing with dune which is coming out very soon right next year i think which i'm really looking forward to because i saw the original um what was his name lynch what's that guy's name the director david lynch the that who you mean yes yes so back in 80 84. Like the Twin Peaks yes. stuff? Yeah. Because yeah, it was actually um, Kyle MacLachlan was in that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did, a, I think, actually did a really good job of the original director's cut. Yeah, Lynchy's going to give you a weird, they, weird world. Yeah, but they went over it and put all his voiceovers in and stuff, which yeah. I think totally ruined the, the magic. It was the 80s. So that's, anyway, that's that's a thing I, I picked up on Spate because I've been following June yeah, production yeah. and the casting. They've got like... Every actor who's ever done anything in the past 10 years is doing it. They've just got Jason Momoa. Or, oh, right, like, right. He seems to be... 
it's strange because I, I wasn't I wasn't that convinced that he's like a an A list actor, you know, like the roles he had as uh, Cal Drogo and yeah, and then Conan that dreadful Conan reboot and the um you know an Aquaman which is kind of a an awkward role to to try and shine in being that it's it's all green screen it's all special effects it's all all that but now he's clearly impressed some people so I'm really keen to see what he does in June actually because it's always nice to nice to see actors being put through their paces a bit definitely definitely so that's it. you know I was also looking at this movie and there's a little bit there of Social commentary, mm. which I quite liked. Again, <laughs> very it was a, serious tone there. Sorry, it was it was a it was a little bit of I found it humorous, and I think it was presented as a humorous thing, but it actually has quite a serious um, you know comment to make, which is he gets into the mess hall to get his food, and up comes the coffee choice. He chooses you know mocha mocha, <laughs> mocha latte yeah. frappuccino or whatever. It's like you're not available. You you can't do. Yeah. And he goes down the next one, next one, and then he just goes all through unavailable. all of the very last one. Bing. Large coffee. Large coffee. You got it. And it's like sort of presenting a caste system. It's like, yeah, here's everything you're not getting. You can't have any of that. But we're going to show you those options anyway <laughs> and allow you to – because really they know he's he doesn't have access to it. Yeah. So wouldn't you just say have a coffee? There's your coffee. Mm. Instead, putting it in his face – you're poor. Sorry. Yeah, and, and then when um, Aurora arrives, she has a an expensive breakfast as yeah, well. The, the and gold he, and, class yeah, and she makes so she makes a comment on that. And she, he, she's like, "Oh, you're eating healthy," and he goes, I, "I'm not entitled to that <laughs> yeah. breakfast." So she gets him that. Yeah, it's it's that know? it's that sort of um, ignorance of the privilege. That's right. They, yeah, they go, yeah. "I doesn't everyone just get this?" Yes, that's it. No, no, no. The the poor people get the yeah. uh, rough stuff and she does also in that conversation early with him say did you pay full price and he's for the ticket for mm. the for the space ride and he's like no because i'm working when i get there for them yeah you know, he's, so it's he's like, took the, i can't remember what they called they it, did call it something didn't so, they? so again there's a reference like, where she's not on that she's just a full price full paying ticket yeah so he's, yeah. he's gonna give like 20 percent of everything he ever earns yeah, in his entire it. life yeah which is sort of presented as this downside but you think well isn't that just tax yeah yeah so yeah. I guess maybe he's going to pay tax as well. I don't know, but yeah, it was again. It's, he's There's clearly a class structure there, yeah. And the rooms, the rooms are also evidence of that, aren't yeah, they? When yeah, when he he has to break into the top quality room, and, yeah. and he's like, "Oh my god, this is incredible." Mm, yeah. So I I thought there was. I don't think they they really made too much issue of that because it didn't come up anywhere else. He had seemed to have full access to the bar. Uh, there was no. There was no reference. There was no like, you look like a whiskey man. He says, sure, give me a single malt. He says, how about this, you know, blended synthetic, you know, like there was none of that business. It was just whatever he wanted. But there was an outtake where he asked for a a Bud Light. Right. (laughs) Which, which, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know that that. Yeah. And and, I mean, I think that's a really good point. For me, there is that bit of that social commentary, that theme of isolation for humans, you know, humans where, we're social beings. We love being around other humans, don't we? We we love talking. We love communicating. Like I said, when he's going crazy, he tells the the cleaning robot to go away, and then he realizes, no, you are my connection. Um, and and really, then that's the question. You know, once he realizes he could wake someone else up, 
uh, you know, he's telling himself not to do it, but at the same time, he's being pulled what, in that what direction. What else can he do? What else yeah, can he do, really? Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't, you know, just sort of wake everyone up or something. Yeah, like and that. I mean, again, I think there's a connection, and I might be overreading it, but there's a connection to The Shining. In The Shining, uh, the man, Jack Nicholson's character, um, Jack, goes crazy and kill and tries to kill his wife and child, from isolation in being in a great big hotel in this he awakens someone and he's and that is labeled murder she aurora labels that as murder a couple of times um but then but then he's trying to rectify that really for the whole film so it's almost like the same question that the shining raises what would you how would you react to being isolated in a hotel in the snow that's the shining or you're isolated in this spaceship you know in outer space you've got this big beautiful location both films have it you've got you know access to this great hotel basically yeah. you know in both scenarios whiskey and hand <laughs> uh, but you're on your own you're basically on your own, you know, and so that mental breakdown that and isolation. All, the, all the red rum you can drink that's right. <laughs> So we've gone over passengers this week. Uh, in two weeks' time, we're covering the lobster. The lobster. <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that one. Me too. Its sense of dark humour, I think, really appeals to me. As I said, my, my favourite scenes in that movie were were acts of futile frustration and a bartender having his face wiped on the bar. <laughs> uh, so if you're going to follow along with us next time, I suggest you watch The Lobster before going in because there's going to be spoilers. I can't spoil anything now because I haven't watched it. I don't know what it is. No, either either have I, but I, I like the look and the, of the premise of The Lobster. So definitely if you are following us, check it out, Google it, see what it's about. And uh, we'll, we'll be discussing it at length next time, like we did tonight about passengers. Good night. Good night. See you later.